What a joy it is to be with you. I tell you, one of the things about Hope Church is you're full of joy. And it's infectious, I can tell you. I think I've danced more today because of Pastor Q. <laughs> I think, you know, just to see the joy of the Lord in your pastors and your leaders is so amazing. Uh, not many churches where you can go and say, it's a happy place. See? And this is a happy place. And you can sense the spirit of God and the presence of God. I'm so grateful for this time. It has been like a shot in the arm and an encouragement for us, for Nalni and I, just to be with you and to hear what God is doing through this thing. I think you know, the blessing that God has for you is beyond this place. I can sense it. I can feel it in my bones that God is going to take this church and use you like a leaven that leavens a lump. He's going to use you to influence other churches to demonstrate how churches can be. And that is part of your call. That's part of your blessing as I see it. So this morning, even as we look at this whole theme of ordination and what it means to ordain elders and select them and anoint them. What I want to do is, in the Bible, there is a development of understanding how the anointing of God works in leadership, in the community of God's people. So I want to quickly trace that history, picking up key points in the history of the people of God. The primary movement is learning that service to God is holy. Service to God is holy. And it is in holiness that leadership is preserved. See? Anointing is the anointing for holiness. And there leadership is preserved. And as I begin, the first thing that it reminds me of when we think of the work and presence of the Holy Spirit is the Genesis chapter 1 in verse 2. How does it describe the situation? There is darkness, there is emptiness, and the earth was without form. Or some translations will say chaos. But the Holy Spirit is there. In the darkest places, in the most chaotic places, in the most empty times, the Holy Spirit is always present. This is the eternal presence of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings order. He brings beauty. He brings creativity. The Holy Spirit breathes life into that which is dust and living beings emerge. That's the work of the Spirit. So as we look in the opening image that you have, when God has made Adam and Eve, both Adam and Eve have full access. Both man and woman have complete access to the presence of God. There is nothing dividing this presence of God and a man and a woman there. And the devil comes and robs that presence by, you know, teaching man to disobey God. So the presence of God becomes absent because of sin. 
And so the whole work of salvation, the whole work of the Spirit is to restore this complete access to the presence of God. So as we look at this, this presence of God now, because of the sin of man, is it sort of comes and goes. Man has to, man and woman, they are trying hard to draw closer to God. And when you pick up the story, we jump a little later in the history of Israel, you come to that place where the people of Israel have come out of Egypt and they are there and Moses is teaching them how to build the tabernacle. And uh, it is there in that tabernacle that God's presence comes in visible, powerful ways to the people. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 25, it says, Moses is teaching people how to preserve holiness. And he's asking them to make a sacred, holy anointing oil. And with it, he says, you will anoint the tent of the meeting, the ark of the testimony, the tables, everything. Whatever is anointed becomes holy. You will consecrate them, that they may be holy, and whatever touches them becomes holy. So you have this anointing oil that makes objects holy, like the table, the bread, you know, all these things become holy because it has been anointed. And anybody who touches that, that is holy. Then from there, the very next chapter, it tells us in chapter 30, verses 30 to 32 in Exodus, he's anointing the priest, Aaron and his sons. And he says, consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil through the generations. It shall be poured on the, it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. So the anointing oil that was poured on the priest was not available for the ordinary person. The holiness was preserved in this exclusive, ironic priesthood. And the common person did not have access to this anointing. And he says, this is holy, shall be holy to you. And there shall be a clear separation between what is common and what is holy. So you see this kind of a distance between what is holy and what is common. Then when you come to Exodus chapter 31, in verses 1 to 7, it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name, and he's talking about the construction of the tabernacle. Bezalel, the son of Uri, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. For what? See, with ability, with intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmen to design and create artistic designs. So common, you know, skills are endowed by the Holy Spirit because God calls this man and gives him the special skills. And then he attaches to him other people. And he says, I've given to able man ability 
that they may make all that I have commanded them. So the, the coming of the Holy Spirit is there in the priesthood and it is there for special callings on some people to do certain tasks with special abilities, special skills and knowledge. And, uh, but the task, you know, as you see, as Moses, who's the leader of the people, who's teaching them about God and what is holy, uh, the people of Israel are there, and he, as he's leading them, the task becomes too big for him to manage the people. And that's where you see the emergence of leadership happening. And in Numbers chapter 11, 16 to 17, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, officers, and bring them to the tent of the meeting. Let them take their stand there with you, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it alone. So what's happening? Moses has the spirit of God. Aaron is anointed as a priest by, by the anointing oil. And now, because the task is too great, God is teaching Moses. He's saying, gather 70 people, and I'll take the spirit that is on you, and I will put it upon the elders, the officers. So part of the way the working of God is, elders and leaders, you know, just by themselves, the task is great. You always need people to assist them. And the anointing moves from the leader to the elders and the officers. You see that in this passage. Then in Numbers 11, 21, 25, it says, the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him, took some of the spirit that was on him, put it on the 70 elders. And here is the significant verse. As soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. You see what's happening? Yeah. The Spirit comes from Moses to the 70 people. Now 70 people are prophesying. But read the let, rest of the verse. But they did not continue doing it. Okay? It is saying that the Spirit comes, but they didn't continue doing it. So the coming of the Spirit and the work of prophecy was when the anointing took place. After that, it didn't continue. It was temporary. Then, you know, after Moses, you see this again transfer of leadership, how the transfer of leadership takes place. When Moses is about to die and Joshua takes the leadership, at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 34, verse 9, this is how it is described. Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. See again, how does the transfer of leadership happen? Moses lays his hands, and the Spirit comes upon Joshua. See? Transfer of leadership is primarily a transfer of the Holy Spirit. 
that's what you see here. Then, if you, but if you look at the history of Israel, what happens is there are big gaps in the history of Israel. Gaps during which people rebel against God. They forget the holiness of God. And during those periods, what happens is the spirit is not active in the people. And the people are in defeat. The people are in bondage. And then you come to the period of the judges. And during the period of the judges, it says here, the spirit comes upon select leaders to do special works of salvation for the people during times of war. That's what the spirit does. When people repent, the spirit comes and God appoints judges. You have Othniel, you have Gideon, you have Jephthah, and then you have the story of Samson, how the spirit came mightily upon Samson. We know these stories, okay? But these are not permanent ways in which these leaders continue to demonstrate the spirit, nor was it something shared by the people of God. See? It was just for select people. Then after another gap of about 200 years after the judges, then you come, there is a verse when the book of Samuel starts where it says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. You see? Word of God was rare. The prophetic word, the word coming to the people was rare. And then comes the story of Samuel. Then comes the story of how God anoints him. Not only God anoints him, when the people of Israel choose a king, what happens? It is Samuel who lays hands on Saul and David and the anointing moves to them. And then 1 Samuel chapter 10, see again another mark of the transfer of the spirit from Samuel to the kingship. Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? You shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their enemies. And this will be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you as a prince over the people. And he gives them three signs. But the last sign is the most significant. Verse 6, it says there, The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them. See? And be turned into another man. See? The work of the Spirit comes upon Saul, anoints him, and turns him into another man. And then it says, God gave him another heart after the, the word of Samuel, after he leaves Samuel, God gives him a new heart. See, the coming of the Spirit on leaders is, you know, the Spirit comes and makes you a new person. You're not the same. There is a, an anointing that comes for kingship, for priesthood, for prophets, that makes you a different person, that shifts your heart. Then, again, you see this in the, in the life of David, 1 Samuel 16, 13. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Remember, David was the last choice. He wasn't even a choice in his father's sight. See? And God anoints him and it says, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. 
Again, you see, with the anointing, with the call to leadership, whether it's priestly, prophetic, or kingly, it is the anointing of the Spirit that comes upon a person. So all these things, when you look at it, slowly, the, the royal kingship and the prophetic ministry becomes hereditary. It passes from father to son, and it is assumed that the son will be like the father. But you know the story. Samuel's sons were far from godly men. David's sons you know, didn't really follow the Lord either. And you see this, both the office of the prophet and the king becomes something that slowly degenerates because they're not following God. And then another gap of a few hundred years, and then you begin to have the prophets, Elijah, Elisha. And here again, you see the Spirit of God is resting on Elijah. And there are schools of prophets. And when it's time for the leadership to shift from Elijah to Elisha, God calls, God directs Elijah who it is to succeed him. And Elisha comes, and the mantle that is on Elijah falls upon Elisha, so that much more than what Elijah has, Elisha will have. It's not just left to the ability and the capacity and the anointing of one generation. The generation of Elisha receives more than the generation of Elijah, because it is God's anointing. It is not the prophet's anointing. It is God's anointing that happens there. And so you see that. And then you see, you know, the prophets. You see prophets like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you see the work of the Spirit upon them. Their speech is inspired. And most of all, Ezekiel is the one who talks most about the experience of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. He carried me. The Spirit fell upon him, lifted him up set him upon his feet, came upon him, and it says, led him and took him up. Different ways in which the prophet explains the experience of the Holy Spirit. And this you see in the prophetic tradition. Then again, in the history of God's people, there's a big gap. And this gap is pretty significant. It's about 400 years before the Messiah comes, before John the Baptist comes as the first one after a huge gap and begins to talk, prepare the way of the Lord for the coming of the Messiah. But the amazing thing you see is, although there are huge gaps in the history of God's people, when God's word is rare or the spirit is not present and there's rebellion and people are fallen away, still the spirit comes Again and again and again, doing the same thing, empowering, dwelling, doing, you know, making things holy. This is what you see. Uh, so there is no stopping the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit comes to renew God's people whenever they turn to Him. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit is what marks a leader. 
anointing of the Spirit is what marks a leader. It's a public evidence. It's not just a private experience, you see. It empowers the leader. It is a personal experience. And, you know, for, for those of us who are part of the Presbyterian tradition, you know, we choose elders, we, we have a democratic process, we nominate, the nominating committees meet together and come up with these names and the congregation votes and all that. But that's not what makes a leader a deacon or an elder, you see. Along with the transfer of leadership, there has to be a transfer of the Holy Spirit. From one generation to another of leadership, there must be an anointing of the Holy Spirit that moves. And uh, Stephen, what did he do? He was waiting at tables, but he was anointed in the Holy Spirit. And that is the mark of how a church ought to ordain, so that there is a visible demonstration of the Spirit moving from one generation of leadership to the next generation. There is a Spirit experience that comes with the laying on of hands. That's why when we call elders, deacons, or pastors when they're ordained, lay hands on them, there is something that happens. God honors that transfer of leadership. That the, just like the spirit that was on Moses was taken and put on the 70 elders, there's a way in which it happens again and again. And uh, so as we look at this, uh, after this gap of 400 years, Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, it's a completely different thing that happens with the coming of the spirit. Jesus' own public validation of an anointing of the Spirit. Because he comes, he's fully human, not only divine. And as he comes to his baptism, in public view, there is a validation by God. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And the heavens open and the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit comes, it is in the power of the Spirit. When he first speaks in the first sermon that he speaks in, he says... The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me, you see, to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners. What is it that empowers ministry? It's the anointing, even for Jesus. And Jesus becomes the prime example of what it means to be a leader, to be anointed of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus comes in the lineage of David, in the lineage of Aaron. Uh, he's the prophet, priest, and king. But the transfer of leadership is always an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. See how Jesus does that to the disciples. See? John 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. So this is the Father's desire from the beginning. You see, to send you the helper. And he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See? So the Father and the Son are working together to give the Holy Spirit to the disciples. 
That is part of the purpose of the coming of Jesus, to restore this full access to the presence of God that was robbed at Eden. He's restoring again. And then again in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he says, I'm sending you the promise of the Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And then we know. We know that story, how they're waiting. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And it is this togetherness I want you to remember. The Holy Spirit is no more on a select few. It is for all who are gathered together. It's about 120 people. And it says, suddenly there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It's not just on one or two people. The entire house. Now, when we are expecting a movement of the Holy Spirit, I want Hope Church to always expect that every single person will be filled with the Spirit. That no person will leave this building without experiencing the anointing of the Spirit. Not one person, you see. Nobody should feel saying, okay, I wish I got what that person received. Everybody should receive the Spirit. This is the basic difference that Jesus brings. So as you see, it's rested on each one of them. And who was there? There were the 12 disciples. There was the family of Jesus. There were women. All these people were there. And this is how Peter explains that event. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16, he says, This is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. It will come to pass, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see vision. Male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I want you to see this prophecy and this fulfillment as Peter interprets it, encompasses everybody. He says, your sons and daughters... No more is it the hereditary David's sons or Aaron's sons or Samuel's sons. Now it is your sons and daughters. This is something that is to move. Leadership is to move from one generation to another. And that is an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's a community where children are anointed. Not just adults. Children are anointed that they will be faithful, more faithful. See, one of the uh, things we pray for at eternity often is for children, that they'll be more faithful. They will stand on our shoulders and rise higher. You see, that should be a common vision of the church so that there is no more this gap of 200 years or 400 years when the word of God was rare. That the word of God continues Prophecy continues from generation to generation. This is the hope. This is the promise. In the late 1800s, in India, there was an orphanage run by a missionary, uh, by an Indian woman called Ramabai. It was called Ramabai Mukti Mission, meaning Ramabai Freedom Mission. They were all orphans, illegitimate children who were brought there, and she took care of them. 
and there was a movement of the Holy Spirit where suddenly, this is a children's orphanage, okay? The Spirit moved and they were moved into great times of prayer. The children were praying for days on end. And there is the story of how there were two sisters in that orphanage. And the little girl who is about 12 years old, suddenly in a prayer meeting, runs outside, gets a bucket of water and pours it on her eight-year-old sister's head. And when they asked her, why did you do that? She said, I saw fire on her head. Okay, it's a documented event in the history of this orphanage that there was a movement of the Holy Spirit amongst children where tongues of fire rested upon them. Okay, so don't expect the Spirit just amongst adults. Expect it for your children, your sons and your daughters. They will prophesy. They will speak the word of God. That is the promise of Pentecost, you see. And then... The last week we had a testimony in our church. It took me by surprise. There's a young boy who grew up in our church from about five. He, he had brain damage when he was born during delivery. And so he was always odd. And several churches had sort of sent that family away because this boy was too boisterous. He came, he grew up amongst us. And last week there was another little, now he's about 21. And he's always a little, you know, different. And uh, there's a, another little boy of about five-year-old who is autistic. And part of the autistic thing that he has is his face twitches and his eye twitches. So the previous week, when the parents brought this little boy up for prayer, Dylan, who himself had brain damage, gets up and prays for this boy. And they go back. Nothing happens during this service. Next morning, the little boy wakes up and says, Mommy, Daddy, Dylan prayed for me and my twitch is healed. Okay? Children healing one another. Is it? This is what is the promise of God. This is not because of our ability, because of our adulthood, because of our understanding. It is because of the anointing. You see? And the anointing is for all. Yeah. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So lay hands on the children. Let the anointing pass to them and see if they will not prophesy in your presence. See? So don't discount them. Then it says old men will dream dreams. See? It is vital that in every church that there is a value to the age and the wisdom, the anointing of the previous generation. You must go to the elderly, those who have an anointing. Attach yourselves to them and say, lay hands on me. Bless me. I need the anointing that is upon you. Yes, sir. There is something there when you know, people like that who can dream dreams and see the vision of God who walked before us, when they lay hands and bless, something happens. It comes to us. And it is vital. I remember when we began Eternity Church, we were about 68% of the people were below the age of 25, 30. When anybody about 60 years walked into the church, everybody cheered. <laughs> we were excited. At last, there were some old people who were coming into the church. Now, most churches, it's the other way around. <laughs> so value, value what God has given to you. And Take the inheritance of the generations so that you will know 
that anointing that comes to you from one generation to another. Then it says male and female. And this is another important thing for me. What the Holy Spirit does in the coming of Jesus. Gender is not an issue for the anointing. You see, whether you're male or female, you are made holy. Look at all the three main pivotal points in salvation history. Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. Let me begin with Christmas. There is something profound that happens at Christmas. Here is the King of glory, Jesus Christ, the holiest one of all. And where does he come? He is formed as a little fetus in this Jewish woman's womb. And the King of glory is covered with amniotic fluid. Okay? Are you with me? And not only that, when Jesus is born, he just doesn't pop out. How how is Jesus born? Jesus is born through normal human birth channels. What is God doing there? God is saying if the king of glory comes and consecrates every part of a woman's body, and he's saying it is holy enough for me to dwell in it, it is holy enough for anybody. Okay? So we need to recognize the the amazing anointing that comes to the human body. And not only that, he's born a man, fully a man. And thereby he's sanctifying every part of a man's body as well. And say, your body is worthy enough for me to fully dwell. So whether you're male or female, you have this presence of God that says, there is nothing unholy in you. I'm making you holy. And how are you made holy? By my coming into you. You see? So the image of God is fully restored in the Christmas story. And not only that, you come to the, the story of the cross. Women are there. You come to the story of Easter The first person, the greatest announcement of all time. Who? The women hear it first and go and tell Peter and John. And they come and see that Jesus is risen as well. Pentecost again. The Holy Spirit comes upon all men and women. So male and female become the tabernacling of God. You're anointed now by the presence of Jesus. And then it says, uh, both uh, slaves, you see, upon male and female servants. It's not just servants, they were slaves. Slaves were people who had no rights in society. But in God's kingdom, they're worthy for God's presence. There is no distinction, you see. Every person, child, adult, old, male, Female, those that society has said, you have no place. God's kingdom says, I have a place in you. That's what it says. So the spirit moves in the whole community. The whole community. It's not just for a select few. What happens at Pentecost is repeated in different places. You see this again and again. In Acts chapter 6, you see that when it happens in, in, uh, when they choose the apostles, uh, the deacons rather, 
that the Holy Spirit is there present in them. And who are they? They're all kinds of Gentile, you know, normally they're not Jewish names that you see. These are Gentile Christians who've become. In the Samaritan church, you see this again. When the Samaritan church receives the gospel, they send Peter and John, and they lay hands on them, and the Samaritan church receives the Holy Spirit. The whole church becomes anointed in the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. You come to Acts chapter 10, again, Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? A Roman centurion. He, and he's the one who is faithful. And then the Spirit of God comes upon him, his household, his friends. Isn't that amazing? I pray there will be many Corneliuses here. Because of your faithfulness, your household, your friends will be anointed in the Holy Spirit, not just you. You see? That's the work of the Spirit. He wants all of us. He wants to be present in all of us. So the anointing is not limited to leaders, but leaders have an anointing to lay hands on others. So that in the laying on of hands, the anointing passes from one to the other. So that whole communities can demonstrate the presence of the living God. So the call in leadership and ordination as you lay hands is, we pray that they will receive the Spirit. See, Not only that they will receive the Spirit, but they will lay hands on you. So as a congregation, come to your elders. Come to your deacons. The reason they're being anointed is so that they will have the anointing. Ask for prayer. Ask for them to lay hands on you so that the Spirit moves upon you. That's the call. That's why Paul tells to Timothy, don't neglect the gift of God that is in you that was given through prophecy and the laying on of my hands. And he says, practice these things. You see, the prophecy and the anointing. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So this is the call for elders, for deacons, as they are ordained today. Pray that there is an anointing, a holy anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them. Not just upon them, but upon you, as you receive the anointing from them. And as fathers, as mothers, as uncles, as aunties, as grandparents, lay hands on the next generation. And let the next generation demonstrate the anointing of God. So this is the vision of God, that God will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he will be their God. That's the whole hope of Revelation, and that's the hope of the church. Let us pray. Lord, bless, bless this church with an anointing that moves from leader to people to families to children. And let wherever Hope Church goes and lays hands, let the anointing spread. That from here will spring up a river of living water. In people, in this church, in this city, through the nation. The blessing with which you have blessed them, let them bless, Lord. And let that blessing be abundant. We seek nothing else except this that you will be our God, we will be your people, and you will dwell among us. Amen.